the offensive perspective of Mahomes doesn't look like the weather had anything. Uh, kind of what's that frozen line? The cold never bothered me anyway. stop shop for news views and overreactions to all things nfl we're pretty much down to the tail end of the season but it doesn't mean that there's not a lot on the line so we got a lot of bits to get through in the news but mostly it's about games the last two weeks and what's going to happen in the postseason so hey we got connor here and we got ronan hello getting on any crack ah not too bad finished up work for the for the 2019 year yeah. Uh, good, good season overall. Two big releases, you know. Uh, really, you know, expanding our playbook, getting a lot of mm-hmm. extra work done. But uh, right now, just been basically kind of resting up, getting nice lunches, just kind of watching a few films. But other than that, just kind of getting myself ready to go back to Cavan uh, later this week, and then that'll be well sitting around. Thankfully, Cavan has the good internet now, so I can still keep up with the NFL and stuff like that pretty easily. Oh, that's a good plus. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm equally similar. Kind of finished up today in work, getting packed up to head back to Ireland for a couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, pretty excited about that. I think by the time I land in Dublin on Thursday, I'm going to be absolutely wrecked and probably sleep for half the day. But uh, no, it should be should be good. Looking forward to seeing everyone. And like I said, we're going to arrange to watch ourselves a bit of the playoff games live in Dublin, I think, which should be a bit of crack. Maybe we should make it a live pod. No, we should not. Uh, <laughs> I think our, our last attempt at the live pod was like three years ago with that draft one that went on for four and a half hours. It's an epic. It's an epic. It's up there still, I believe. So Yeah, I think it's still one of the, one of the most liked and highest rated pods of the lot. Yeah. Uh, it's an opportunity to see how well we did at grading a draft, which is to say horribly. Yeah, <laughs> our grading was very poor. We weren't too badly off on how we guessed how it would go, but uh, our, our predictions of how good those players would be would maybe a little bit out of whack. So I suppose we'll fly into the news because we've got a lot to go through in the games and we're starting to talk clinching scenarios as well as questions and stuff. So we'll start with uh, Controversy Corner. So Janoris Jenkins has been caught by the New York Jets following him calling fan the R word on Twitter. He was unapologetic and saying it was great news for him to be out. Now, to be fair, I suppose, as they say, not the biggest punishment in the world to no longer have to play for the Jets, particularly when he is then picked up by the New Orleans Saints and gets to play on a Super Bowl contender instead. What do you think? Was this too quick a reaction from the team, particularly given that, like, you know, he's just been picked up by a contender? Well, I think, you know, if he was playing really well for the Jets, that might have made it a bit more difficult, but. He hasn't been that good for the Jets. Uh, he's uh, There's rumours or reports that he's been injured and that's affected his efficacy. But I think overall he's been a disappointing, big-ticket free agent sign-up who they obviously got off the, the Rams a couple of years ago. So I think for the Jets, this gave a very obvious PR reason to do something that they were probably considering doing in the offseason anyway. There's only two games left, so it's not a big difference for a team out of contention. Like, I think Jenkins... I think had a kind of half, like kind of forced apology attempt. Didn't go really well. Kind of tried to excuse what he said. Maybe because uh, the fan, the fans in general probably aren't that kind to players like him when they're playing badly on a bad team. But once the cut happened, he seemed to pretty much be like, "Yeah, brilliant, thank God for that." <laughs> and obviously, yeah, getting picked up by the Saints, a major contender in the Super Bowl race, is a pretty good pickup for a player who I think in that team. Um, obviously, Marshawn Lattimore's dealing with some injury issues, but assuming Lattimore and Apple are healthy, he's probably just like the third or fourth 
cornerback in that case. In further news, the New England story about uh, them basically spying on the Bengals has uh, continued to tip around. Like we said, still doesn't seem like there's a huge amount of advantage to be gained, but what we've had in the last week is Jake Glazer's released video of the video, <laughs> which shows that they were just shooting straight at the Bengals' sideline with no scout in it, no rationale for having that videotape being made apart from just to look at sideline footage. There's also nice stories coming out of New England about, well, what about some of these streaming services allow you to see some parts of the sidelines and stuff? It's all just a bit of a mess. Like, like I don't think it's a big deal, but it just screams problems. Whenever you've got a fan base who have to constantly, they already know exactly where to go to for the, hey, look, there's nothing directly in the rules about this because I've had to look at these the 15 previous times that we've been caught doing shit like this. It was kind of a situation where, like, they were saying, "Oh, we're oh, sorry, uh, we'll delete it. It'll be gone forever. Like, it's definitely not a problem." This is basically the interaction happening mm-hmm. between the, the uh, New England uh, Patriot employee and, uh, well, supposedly independent contractor. Yet, apparently, one of the people involved is a longtime employee of Robert Kraft mm-hmm. or one of his uh, constituent companies that is in New England Patriots, so not part of the Patriots in a kind of loose way. But basically, him saying, oh, "I'll delete it. Don't worry. I didn't know all that kind of stuff." Like, I think. At this stage, I, I'm not going to say there's like some big conspiracy or whatever like that. It's probably just the case that, yeah, it was a fuck-up, but New England will probably get some type of punishment just because, well, you have to set a precedent with a team where there's some reasonable doubt, I suppose, about the veracity of its claims. Well, as, as, like, look, as, as I say, I think it was in the last week or the week before, and if a player putting a $100 bet when he's not playing for a season means you get full impact of the legislation about it to prove a point, this is an exact. This is exactly the same thing. If you're going to have to put your foot down, if this is them taking an action that is against the law, a law that they previously broke themselves in the initial spygate stuff. But like I said, it, it's not as big as people were trying to make it out to be, but the New England fans who are trying to make it look like it is nothing are as if not more kind of hyperbolic in in this scenario. Carolina have decided they have seen enough from Kyle Allen and Will Greer is going to be the starter for week 16. So this is a team that has had rumors swirling about possibly moving on from Cam Newton in the offseason. They clearly know that Kyle Allen isn't who they'll be moving on to instead. And they've also going to have coaching changes as they fired Ron Rivera. So do we think this is a proper trial for Will Greer or is this just a keep the fan base a bit interested for the last two weeks and just get to the offseason. Yeah, well, he was a third-round pick in the 2019 draft, so obviously he wasn't like he wasn't seen as like a, an automatic starter, but obviously he is under the current ownership regime, who obviously Tepper and co. have kind of been maybe asserting a little bit more control over the football operation, basically because, you know, that, that the current the staff that was let go of basically were on borrowed time. I think everyone kind of knew that. They had to really succeed if they wanted to stay there. The way, like, obviously Kyle Allen started off hot enough when he first came into the team that you can kind of go, he he was given enough rope to basically kind of see, can he keep it up? And in the end, he couldn't. He's had a really bad, like, last month, month and a half. And Will Greer, you know, know, his assessment wasn't of a superstar by any stretch. But, you know, you want to see what you have, see if he shows some spark. Because one way or the other, there's a good likelihood at least one of these quarterbacks will be on the roster, but hopefully the fans expect not as a starter. No, of course. Crime and punishment. Uh, what? Josh Gordon and the substance abuse policy. I never heard this before. Seattle wide receiver currently Josh Gordon has been suspended indefinitely for the substance abuse and recreational drugs policy. 
another setback for a very talented wideout who has just basically not had much of a career because he keeps getting busted for weed and for PEDs, it would appear as well. So he now no longer has contact with the team and he is, I think, is it indefinitely suspended, yes? Yeah, well, given given the kind of three-strike rules and similar in the NFL, it will be indefinite. I think the fact that PEDs are involved as well certainly won't help his case. It's a bit less sympathetic. You know, if it's, uh, you know, addiction to a drug versus something that's actually helping on the field. Just given his history, it's very hard to see him go, see him come back. Like, they're giving him so many chances this, at this stage. And, yeah, like, I don't know. You know, obviously he was cut in mysterious circumstances by New England. Maybe they knew something that, you know, Seattle didn't mm. know. Um, he looked, like, pretty decent when he was on the field. But obviously... Couldn't, couldn't pass for shit, though. Yeah, well, that's also <laughs> true. Like, he's 28 years old still, so I'll never say never, but... But it's probably, yeah. Yeah, each each time this happens, less and less likely is that the NFL will, will take pity on him, effectively, which is basically what they've more or less framed it as uh, up to this point. No, of course. Uh, ten former players, including Clinton Portis, have been charged with fraud against the healthcare for retired play- players within the NFL. Apparently, I haven't read a huge amount of this, but they've been sending fake invoicing for specialist equipment. And we know, like, look, you know, murder some people, beat up some wives and stuff like that. But if you start insurance fraud, that's when they're going <laughs> to clamp down on you in this. You know, the greatest insurance fraud is starting an insurance company, right, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so this is obviously being a healthcare program for retired players. Like, the invoices were for some fairly specialist uh, things, like cryogenic chambers and stuff like that. Um, so, obviously, they were hoping that because of the specialist nature of it, it wouldn't necessarily be something that, you know, an insurance company or an actuary or something would kind of cop on to, basically. Yeah. They'd kind of trust that the players would know better than them. But, obviously, in this case, they were basically sending in these invoices for this equipment and the equipment never existed and because it's a specialist equipment you're talking like tens of thousands of dollars a pop each time you sent him one of his invoices so yeah Clinton Portis obviously a, a very well considered player when he is time but I imagine all of these people will be getting a fairly big slap in the wrist now I don't know whether they'll get jail time but certainly uh they'll probably need to be a bit tighter with their pennies going forward. And obviously this type of action probably doesn't indicate a, a great amount of fiscal rectitude to begin with. No, of course. And uh, this one was one you were mentioning earlier. Uh, Jacksonville have been fined for forcing players to rehab in facility during the off season. So you're only allowed to require players to be on site at certain particular times. You're only allowed to mandate certain types of uh, practice or treatment at certain times. And apparently this means that there's been a huge amount of grievances filed against them. According to the NFLPA, which came out with a very strong statement after the players in question, it isn't clear who the player in question is, won their grievance in this case against being forced to come into the facility for rehab and have to exclusively deal with the team's doctors during the offseason. But the NFLPA gave a very strong statement condemning them and also taking the action of actually recommending that free agents you know, think strongly before going to Jacksonville because according to their statistics, 25% of all grievances filed uh, by the NFLPA on behalf of players are against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, maybe a lot of these are, are related to just this type of issue, but I think, you know, uh, I think, you know, given what we've seen this year in terms of Osemele, in terms of Ebron, where we've heard these stories about teams pushing players beyond their limits, forcing them to play really via painkillers and other types of shady 
bit effectively mm-hmm. shady uh, ways. I think, you know, the NFLPA will certainly be looking to stamp its foot down and say, hopefully in black and white in the next CBA, that this type of behavior is not acceptable and to see stronger punishments for teams like the Jacksonville Jaguars, maybe going to, to picks and stuff like that, if they continue this type of behavior. No, of course. And uh, they've also been a number of former players coming out, uh, Jalen Ramsey among them, mentioning that they had been they've been reporting this or been saying stuff like this for about a year or two to the league. So we'll see. Uh, there's probably a bit more that's going to come out on this. Injury news. We've had a couple of injuries around the league. So Minnesota running back Dalvin Cook has injured his shoulder. So he's now week to week. The backup Madison was also hurt. So they have a guy called Mike Boone who came in and I think did pretty well in the fill-in spot there. But obviously for Minnesota, who, even though they played very well, could quite honestly, could, could could quite easily miss the playoffs if they lose their next two games, I think. Looking at the numbers on it is not really a spot where you want to be losing to players productive as, uh, as, as Cook. Yeah, like Donald Cook's had a great year. Like he was my uh, preseason vote for the breakout player and... It, it's hard not to, you know, come to the conclusion that he's managed to do that. Now, they're obviously having a huge game this week against the Packers, um, where mm-hmm. if he even just misses that game, that could have a huge knock-on effect. Um, so for reference, he has about 1,100 yards rushing this year. But huge game against the Packers. They'll want them there. Now, the early news from Mike Zimmer, the coach, were positive. He said he could play through it. But Mike Zimmer's also known for a bit, bit like old school law. He can play through it. It's fine. We'll see if that actually happens. Who needs two legs? Madison missed the game uh, on Sunday against the Chargers with an ankle injury. No one really knows what's going on there. So that means to be more time for Mike Boone, who by all accounts, based on his preseason work and based on what the team has said, has actually been a pretty impressive player for them. And on other teams would likely have had more of a shot in the starting roster. It's just with Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison falling out so well um, they haven't really needed, had the need to go to him but I think with Mike Boone he could be a really interesting player and if you're into the fantasy if Cook or Madison were to miss this week or the week games after well this week's game he could Boone could be a championship decider uh, in, in fantasy this week just so no, of course you know, pro uh, tip you- there the New Orleans injuries continue to rack up here. So defensive end Marcus Davenport has injured his foot and he's gone for the season. And their defensive tackle, tackle Sheldon Rankins has done his inju- his ankle and is probably gone for the season. So they've picked up Noah Spence, but like this is this this is the worry coming into the back end for teams like this that you're going to start to lose those players who have been giving you production and like suddenly just attrition of players will start to make them less and less effective. I've already said that I think the Saints are slowing down a little bit now in the back end of the season and then injuries like this are going to make them more vulnerable. Yeah, no, I think the defense has been, you know, up and down, but on this day has been a very good defense. But I think Marcus Davenport is one of those players who's really, uh, his consistency is a little bit, questionable but he is capable of having huge games wrecking games by himself and Sheldon Rankins has been a pretty solid defensive tackle for them both in the run and the pass and being able to get to the quarterback a bit as well so I think you know you move you lose these two pieces you bring in someone like Noah Spence who's been kind of shuttling around the league for about a year now since he got cut as a a former second round pick and that's going to have an effect there now I don't think either these are as important as say Marshawn Lattimore missing time but yeah, I think for the Saints, it just increases the pressure on the offense, which had slowed, had kind of a mid-season swoon, but the last couple of weeks maybe has shown a little bit more life. So I suppose they hope that maybe they'll return to their current form. So I, th- these aren't 
these aren't like lethal wounds, but they're certainly going to affect their ability to pressure the opposing quarterback. Yeah, Seattle's linebacker Bobby Wagner has had an ankle sprain. He's considered week to week, but they think he will play next week. And the safety Quandre Diggs has an ankle sprain, and they expect that he'll be out for a little bit longer. So both of these are pretty uncertain at the moment, but Bobby Wagner after the game against Carolina was basically saying, I can play this, I can go play through this, whatever that. And obviously Bobby Wagner is one of those uh, kind of Jenga piece pieces on the defense where if Bobby Wagner goes, the efficiency and effectiveness of that team, especially against the run. Quandre Diggs obviously picked up in a trade mid-season, has been really good for them, has a number of picks already in the short time he's been there. And I think that probably means the secondary will be a bit more vulnerable now. Obviously, they have Arizona this week. They'll probably hope that they can get through the issues without them this week. You know, they managed to beat Carolina with a lot of their frontline starters missing this week, but Wagner will be huge. But obviously, week 17, San Francisco likely to be for the NFC West, at least, and likely to also include some of the seeding, like the one or two seed. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, Bo- if Bobby Wagner or Quandra Diggs were to miss that game, that could make a huge difference, especially considering the injuries already affecting San Francisco as well. No, of course. Uh, Kansas City defensive end Alex Okafor has torn his pectoral muscle and he's done for the season. That's two defensive ends in two weeks with the exact same injury, which is just a real pain in the arse. And that kind of leans us in towards the uh, signings as well. So Terrell Suggs was released by Arizona. He made it as far as the Chiefs on the waiver wire, and they claimed him at that point. There was initially reports that he wanted to only play for the Ravens and he would hold out, but then that clearly seems to be more of a, he just wants to play for a contender and would not play if he was not in a contender. As he's now since said, he's going to report to the Chiefs. It'll be interesting. He'll be put into a rotational role. He hasn't been particularly productive this year. And I think as, as as many Ravens fans were very quick to point out once they weren't getting him, all his production the previous two years were in the first half of the season rather than the second half. But uh, a, a badly needed piece given, I think, the Chiefs are down to three defensive ends on the roster at the moment, one of which they picked up last week. Yeah, and that's also an interesting thing. It's just obviously he would traditionally have been considered a uh, 3-4 OLB. Obviously, he's coming into the 4-3 system from Spag. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to see whether they use him like uh, as a, as an outside pass rusher, maybe to move him in an inside a little bit. He's obviously kind of a hefty guy. He's a bit older, maybe to move him inside a little bit. Um, but I think on those uh, obvious pass rush situations, it's no harm there. Like he hasn't been great this year, but he does have still have five and a half sacks. He's still able to get to the quarterback, but he's yeah very much a situational player at this point. But if Okafor wasn't, is a little bit like that before he went down as well at this mm. point of his career. No, of course, like I said, for 350000 I think it's costing, even if he's not great, to to not have that emotional heartbeat back into the Ravens' defense seems like a good enough reason to uh, to pick him up, if you ask me. <laughs> and uh, finally, Tampa Bay, following the back-to-back 450-yard games for Jameis Winston, Chris Godwin has now injured his hamstring. We don't know exactly what the details are, but it looks like he's probably done for the season. They also had injuries to Mike Evans last week, and it's kind of one of these spots where these guys are... They're very good players, but they're getting injured, and I think they're not technically dead yet, are they? But uh, they're they're effectively like they're it, I think they're one of the ones that needs yeah. a tie or something yeah, for it to. I think Bruce, yeah, Bruce Arians is basically you know he hasn't really changed the game plan that much. They're still basically the team they were in week two, which is basically. Hey, let's just throw the ball like a bazillion times. Our run game isn't that good, so just do it. And to be fair, like James Winston, you know, the efficiency of throwing those deep balls will likely go down with Brashad Perryman instead of like Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Yeah. But it's not going to stop 
Jameis Winston. He, he's still going to go for it. He's got the taste for it. So if you want a roller coaster set of games that don't matter, then feel free to tune in to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as they close out their season. As, as you know, How many times this year have we talked, reviewed their games and gone, fun, but inessential. They should continue to be so without Godwin, if less, slightly less effective. Miami have extended wide receiver Devontae Parker, four years, 40 million, with twenty just over 20 million guaranteed. Uh, he's had a very good year this year after a very disappointing career up to that point. Makes sense to start trying to lock in some pieces to build around. Like, I know they're going to be drafting about 24 players this season, but, like, they, they've gotten production out of him. The coaching staff seem to know how to use him, so it makes sense. Yeah, I think, you know, when you think about players who've got decent contracts in free agency, like Paul Richardson a couple of years ago, they were getting like 12 million approximately. So I think 10 million per year, given the level of production we've seen from him, given the kind of catches we've seen. If he's turned the corner, he obviously had all the talent in the world in the evaluation process, then he could end up being a really cheap bargain in this type of contract. Mm -hmm. Good teams make these type of contracts. They see the potential, they see their work, and they get them while they're cheap. Like your likes likes of Chris Conley, I think, is getting... 14 and a half, 15 million a year. Exactly. Like Marquise Lee, I think, is on 15 and a half a year. Like there's all these guys who, like they know what they've got with Parker. The coaching staff are used to him. Like it makes sense. No, also, what, what'll help them is the cap is looking to go up quite a bit as well. I think about eight to 13 or 14 million next year. Everyone is expecting, obviously, there's a lot of preliminary talks about the 2020 CBA agreement. Yeah, like I think. This is kind of what we expect. The cap is going to keep going up in decent chunks until maybe there's some changes in CBA, but that's probably going to be a jump up as a block maybe and then agreed percentage movements. But that'll make it handy for people. As, as I think we had a question from one of the listeners two or three weeks ago. Yeah, just start signing your guys long term now. Like even if it, the process of the cap doesn't change, it goes up so much to just lock them down. People who might be eating up that cap, LSU's quarterback Joe Burrows just won the Heisman Trophy. I don't watch much college. Uh, all I know is that that uh, defensive player that everyone was talking about might be the number one overall is now contemplating uh, staying in college. I think because he figured out it was the Bengals and the and the Dolphins and the <laughs> Redskins. Yeah, try the Mazungus picking up top. But yeah, expect expect Joe Burrow to move up in draft boards, really, that's about it, right? Like, he basically came into this year with not that much hype around him because he was, uh, you know, an effective enough player but didn't really have the physical traits to get people excited. But obviously, after what was a ridiculous senior year, um, obviously, LSU are in the college championships. I expect that he'll go up. And obviously, with the Cincinnati Bengals likely to be the number one overall pick, they are known, I suppose, fairly or not, for not perhaps for perhaps valuing the intangibles over the talent to a certain extent. And Joe Burrow is the definition of intangibles over talent in terms of evaluating him as a potential overall number one pick. Uh, Just a small note that Utah State quarterback Jordan Love has also declared as a junior. He had a really, really good 2018. His 2019 has been more up and down. So he's just another one of those names that might be in that. Probably based on this year more in the second to third round range. But obviously we're going to get a few more of these guys coming out saying they're declaring and some of them choosing to stay in college over the next year including Chase Young players like Tua so obviously that'll have a huge effect on the NFL next year but for now Joe Burrow has done basically the perfect timing in terms of getting himself up as a potential number one pick no of course and uh, just for people who are maybe newer to the NFL uh, the college season finishing up is the reason that we are going to have games on Saturday this weekend and I think possibly onwards from there that uh, they always have a separation where college games are on Saturday and professional games are on the Sunday slash the Thursday slash the Monday but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we get everything else you get Saturday if you're wondering why they have all these random names like 
like Monday and Thursday instead of Saturday, it's because of college football. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Uh, and we'll take a look, I suppose, at games from last week. So we'll start on Thursday night, a bit of a one-sided affair. Jets at Baltimore, 21-42. Ronan? Yeah, so, you know, Baltimore just did their usual thing. Lamar had 212 yards, five touchdowns passing, another ridiculous efficiency display. He got his 86-yard rushing, which allowed him to overtake Michael Vick as the quarterback with the most rushing yards in a season. But other than that, basically, Baltimore just kind of swept New York Jets, particularly in the third quarter. Like, the first half, their offense was doing pretty well, but the Jets got a couple of stops. And, yeah, like, their pass rush and their, like their pass rush and their pass offense are just ridiculously hard like I think the Jets you know where are they right now Darnold show, once again showed a few flashes uh, but also like a boneheaded pick Bell looked a little bit better and, and Crowder looks all right so I think they have I think they have have a decent kernel of an offense there if they can get some decent defensive linemen and perhaps a better offensive coordinator but the defense is way overmatched right now so if I was the Jets I'd probably be focusing that end of the ball in this upcoming offseason. No, of course. Uh, next up, Chicago, Green Bay, 13-21. to uh, Green Bay clinched their playoff spot in Chicago, now definitely out of the running. Uh, even though they did have a lovely kind of attempt at the end to try and uh, tie the game up, they were down by eight. And it's they just... interesting at the end there. It's like... <laughs> yeah, and to be honest, like when you watch it back on the film, you can see that actually, yeah, they probably should have scored on that. So yeah. they kept they kept kept tossing the ball around, going for a Miami Miracle style play. Like, it was like one moment in the middle where the player got the ball. And just and looked then, around confused and missed that there was like four guys yeah. who were running backs and wide receivers beside them that would have been much better placed. But yeah, like Green Bay were not great. Uh, Adams had 100 yards. Jones had two touchdowns. They were fine. Chicago defense looked okay, but just not like not the difference maker that they were last season. Again, Mitch Trubisky, the last couple of weeks has not looked terrible. And in spurts has looked actually pretty decent. This is a middle of the road, like one touchdown, two interception over 300 yards kind of thing. But yeah, like it was kind of like we expected, nothing too exciting. Green Bay get the win. And I think like the, maybe the most interesting thing about this game is that both teams were very, very aggressive on fourth down. Obviously kind of one of the subplots in the kind of NFL, at the NFL level over the last couple of seasons, but particularly this season is the, you know, much more aggressive approach to fourth down. And, uh, you know, we're seeing, we saw a lot that's in this game, but I think, you know, Green Bay, they're currently tied with three other teams atop the NFC playoff picture. But of all the contenders, you know, Seattle, uh, San Francisco and New Orleans, they've never really had a convincing win. They've never had a performance where you go, oh, that's the Lafleur Green Bay Packers. That's the championship team. Mm -hmm. Now, they keep getting wins. So that's the main thing uh, for championship purposes. But, you know, it'd be nice to see something from them a bit more impressive in the last two weeks. And they'll get a definite big opportunity this week when they play Minnesota in Monday Night Football. No, of course. New England, Cincinnati, thirty-four to thirteen. I was so happy at the start. I was kind of thinking, that would be hilarious if New England lost to them. They went down, but then they made their way back. They had four interceptions in this game and a run game that went for nearly two hundred. Like Brady, again, terrible game from him. He's been kind of sub five yards per attempt for the last while. He's not been performing all that much. Mixon was pretty much all of the Cincinnati offense for most of this game. He looked great. Dalton looked poor. More yeah. yards than Dalton. Like that's yeah, that's pretty that's ridiculous. Like not good. Like, but yeah, like like we said, just overmatched Cincinnati team. I said going into the game, I thought that Cincinnati will come out and they'll scare them a little bit because they've got some talent, but they just don't have the like the coaching, the playbooks, the resilience to actually do anything beyond maybe like 
you know, scheme for the first 10 or 15 minutes and then fall apart of it. So, yeah, kind of 34-13, kind of what we expected to see. Seattle at Carolina, 30-24. Seattle nearly allowed a comeback here. Carson, two touchdowns. Lockett, 120 yards and a touchdown. It was pretty good. Christian McCaffrey had a hell of a game, though, nearly oh, yeah. 200 yards and two yeah. touchdowns. Like He's ridiculous. Like uh, He's just um, a cheat code. And then DJ Moore showed up late when they were on their mm. comeback. But like once again, Kyle Allen, three interception this game. You know, we talked about his fumbles early on in his career, but he's also throwing in his interceptions now. And yeah, we're seeing the limitations of him. He could be a career backup, but definitely doesn't look like anything more. And their run defense, Carolina, is absolutely atrocious. And that was shown up again here by Chris Carson. Um, mm. I think the big positive for Seattle is that Tyler Lockett looked like Tyler Lockett. I know you had him on a few fancy teams when he had a swoon and kicked you out of the playoffs, but in this game, he seemed to finally be back in form. That'll be a huge issue, a huge uh, boon for the Seahawks, given obviously they've now lost Josh Gordon. They're going to be back to relying on David Moore as their wide receiver tree. Like I, I would say Seattle, they like, the comeback was worrying, but in this case, there were a lot of injuries before this game. So players like Clowney, Shaq Griffin, their their quarterback one, uh, were injured beforehand. And then Bobby Wagner and Quandra Diggs obviously picked up injuries during the game. So there's a little bit of mitigation there. But obviously, given what we've seen for Seattle in terms of giving away these leads, in terms of getting teams back in when they should close them out, it is a little bit concerning as they go up against yeah. better teams, obviously in week 17 and beyond. Houston to Tennessee, uh, this is a big one, obviously, for the AFC South, 24-21. to 21. Houston take the lead in that. Hopkins looked great over 100 yards. Hyde over 100 yards. I think that brings him over 1,000 on the season. And uh, good performances from the rest. Like, Kenny Stills, two touchdowns. It's just, just bizarre. Tennessee fought back in the second half, putting, I think, all of their points up then. But, like, they made mistakes. They... I think uh, I think their running back was injured a little bit for this yeah, game. Yeah, Henry's like, carrying a bit of a knock right now. Yeah. Yeah, but um, Jesus, the size of that tight end they had, Johnu is it or something like that? Yeah, like uh, he was interesting. He's humongous. They, yeah, and he's just, also incredibly fast. Yeah, because he had like a really big rush, and it basically looked like they went like for fifty-seven yards, like one rush fifty-seven yards, which basically looked like. Oh, that's a Derrick Henry play, but they just put their massive tight end. We, we, we were watching it and we were like, oh, Jesus, because we were just discussing in the pub. We we're like, oh my God, like Derrick Henry is so big. Like, like <laughs> he's just huge. And then we're like, that's not Derrick Henry. He's like, yeah, but Derrick Henry's also very large. Uh, yeah. And the point still stands. <laughs> well, you know, Tennessee, they weren't that bad in the first half. Like they got 21 of their, you know, all 21 of their points in the second half. They weren't terrible in the first half, but just a couple of big mistakes cost them. I think their their kicker suck up. They don't trust them, so they tried a fake punt. They got intercepted, and they had a red zone pick, a killer red zone pick. Basically, it was, you know, they were on the red, like on the five-yard line, and they went over to the 10-yard line of their own base after the pick, and then Kenny Stills, one of his touchdowns off that. That's a huge swing, and I think Houston, I think Tennessee, Maybe the more solid team to Houston right now, but Houston, they got those big plays from Hopkins, from Hyde, from Fuller, and from Stills. And like Tennessee's defense, which has a few injuries in the secondary, just looked overmatched by that for a long period of time. But Tennessee, yeah, they're kind of in a dogfight now with, with the Steelers for the last playoff spot. But right now, they look like a pretty solid team. And I think you said yourself, you would be scared to see them in the playoff hunt. You'd yeah, much they're, rather they're, see... They're the, the team Steelers. I don't want to see in the playoffs, yeah. I'd rather see all those energy. PC fan of yours, first time listener, since we're doing that today. But uh, yeah, so I think Tennessee, if they make it to the playoffs, you know, definitely one to keep an eye out with the uh, resurgent Tannehill in tow. 
No, of course. Oh, God, this beauty. Miami at the Giants, 20-36. to 36. Uh, Han Eli. So the last game for Eli Manning in MetLife in his home stadium. Obviously, the way that it was all done, where Eli got basically his family was there, lots of nice photos, you know, all that kind of, all that indicates that he's going to retire and basically go off and do something, maybe pop up for the media at some point. But, you know, they won this game but probably more because Saquon Barkley finally kind of showed his Saquon Barkley-ness at 142 yards. You know, Eli was up and down to say the least, two touchdowns, three interceptions, uh, very, like, bad Jameis Day. Um, but the defense was pretty solid, which I think is good because that defense at times has been horrible. And, you know, Miami were spirited as usual with Fitzmagic, but the slow depletion of all talent on that team, um, like, you know, Patrick Laird, they're like fourth, like their fourth running back is like their primary running back right now. And he just looks like a tiny little, like like a mm-hmm. tiny little player being forced in there. And it just really didn't get going. So, yeah, and their D was pretty bad as well. Yeah, no, it's uh, just but not like, good. You know, Miami, like there was, a, I believe, a, a note coming out this week that you know they have the record for having the most players who've suited up this year so you know if the objective this year is to do one huge sweep change everything mm. see what you have the dolphins have done that really really well they're doing it they're sifting for gold they're sifting yeah. for gold uh philly at washington 37 to 24 like philly got it in the end but this was a terrible game particularly with and we'll discuss the dallas game later on but like particularly with that happening yeah, you just got to imagine they're gone, really. There's not really a chance. With no wide receivers, they find something in that running back, that catching the touchdown in the corner of the end zone off his arse because uh, he knows he had to get low <laughs> was was good. But, like, all they've got is Sanders and tight ends. Uh, their defense is poor. The rest of their offense is not good. Haskins had a decent day, and McLaren showed up well in this one. I had, he had one particularly beautiful kind of, I think it was like 56-yard touchdown run where he crossed the field and slipped a couple of tackles. But, like, yeah, both these teams suck. I will tell when the game picks, but I, I don't trust Dallas at all. Like, I, I trust Philly less, yes, definitely, but mm. I would never try to, you know, assert... Uh, any kind of finality on the NFC East right now because it's so stupid. But yeah, like when you're relying on Greg Ward Jr. as your like wide receiver one or two, you know things have got pretty bad. And you know, like like yeah, Miles Sanders looks nice. That's good. That could definitely make a difference. Boston Scott had was used less in this game, but showed a little bit of juice. But he was yeah, good when he was on the field. Yeah, yeah. Running backs and tight ends. Can you build an entire offense around them? Maybe. Will He's that still be that one year where we had no wide receiver touchdowns? Yeah, so maybe they can get they didn't it done. Go far. <laughs> uh, but for the Bazungus, obviously they're kind of in on Haskins. He was the ownership's pick, so he's going to be there next year. So I suppose it's nice that he showed a little bit more progress this week. Maybe if he has a full off season and kind of can book up his work habits, he may turn into a startable quarterback next year. But uh, right now, his best day was still only 261 yards, two touchdowns, and a, maybe a nice rush or two. Yeah, and, uh, and, and, and half of all of those stats came to the rookie McLaren, who, let's be honest, did most of the work himself after the catch. Yeah, like he's been a great pickup. So hopefully, mm-hmm. maybe Haskins to do can can get, can buck up in the off season and, and maybe build on his talent. No, of course, uh, Denver, Kansas City, three to twenty three. Yeah, snow game looked beautiful. The red of the Arrowhead Stadium against the white was good fun. But uh, Chiefs looking very very good in this one. Their defense clamped down hard on Denver. Didn't allow this the 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 lock led team that. Surprised the Texans after they beat the Patriots to do the same to ourselves. The weather probably impacted as the rookie probably not be as as, as used to playing yeah, that. Arrowhead is a 
tough place to play. Tough spot to go, yeah. But um, from the offensive perspective, Mahomes doesn't look like the weather had anything. Uh, kind of what's that frozen line? The cold never bothered me anyway. Like <laughs> 340 yards, two touchdowns. Kelsey had a day, 140 yards. Hill, two touchdowns. They had no issue with it. The only issue is probably that they didn't get a huge amount of production out of the run game. But the run game, the running backs were actually doing pretty decent yardage-wise. It just seemed to, for some reason, in a snowstorm, go, no, I feel like passing this time around. That seems like the logical way to go with this game. Uh, but yeah, like, <laughs> well, obviously, Andy Reid loves snow games, so he's like trying to elongate the game as much as possible. It's true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like defense looked great. A couple of interceptions. One or two got called back. There was a beautiful moment where they intercepted Drew Locke. It got called back on a kind of bullshit invisible hold. So then the following play, they just intercepted him again on a different route. They were all up in his face. He did a pretty good job. Like the stats don't hold it out, but his receivers were dropping passes. There was other team errors. The Broncos might have something they can build around in lock. At least it definitely looks better than a lot of the the previous um, we'll say options that they've gone for have been. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this continues on because Casey's defense stepping up. And their offense looking kind of strong again. Uh, they could be peaking at just the right time, but we'll see how it goes. Tampa Bay, Detroit, one-sided as fuck, 38-17. Yeah, fun but inessential uh, is the, you know, our, our manifesto for Tampa Bay games. And yeah, James becomes the first player in NFL history to go over 450 yards passing in two games. Um, he had a pick on his first drive, which he is wont to do. Six times, uh, I think, this year. <laughs> But after that, he got like his his four touchdowns. Uh, obviously, uh, with Chris Godwin going off until he got injured, and and Brashad Perryman basically getting yards, which just kind of shows that in the Bruce Arian system with James Winston, it's like you are there, you have hands, you are catching the ball. Tampa Bay went re- up really early. They kind of like took the you know took their foot off the gas pedal for a little bit. Detroit had a little mini fight back, fourteen points. Maybe probably mostly thanks to the run game from Tampa Bay being so shit. But uh, you know like. For Detroit, it's a lost season. The you know their third string quarterback, Amendola looked okay. They have this running. You have another random running back got a couple of touchdowns. But yeah, for Tampa Bay, they're a fun team right now, uh, and it'll be interesting to see if they end up uh, putting something up to Houston at home uh, in their last relevant game in Week 16. So Tampa Bay, fun as usual. We thank you for you know making this not important game at least not unwatchable. Yeah, Cleveland, Arizona, 24-38. Cleveland have a dubious honour of being the only team to not at any point have a winning record uh, within the 2010s. So they've never finished the season above 8-8. Yeah, Kenya Drake does a good job on the ground. Cleveland's offence looks terrible, apart from Chubb, who's trying to run it all through him. We've got a question in the mailbag, so we'll come to it then. But, like, this is Brown's team... Like, the players have given up. No one knows what the fuck is going on. And they are actively telling other players on the pitch when playing against them that they want to leave their team. And please, can I come play with you guys instead? Yeah, Arizona looked decent in this one. But to be honest, it looked like you didn't need to be an incredible team to beat up on this Cleveland outfit at the moment. Just sloppy, poor, no communication. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll deal with more of the Cleveland stuff in the the mailbag. But, like, there was nothing to take out of this other than this isn't that the Arizona thing is clicking more at the tail end. This is more just that Cleveland is in an absolute tailspin, to be honest. Jacksonville and Oakland 20-16 and Oakland lose in their final game the Black Hole. Yes, and the fans reacted in a, you know, a very mature fashion by booing the shit out of their team and then ripping the stadium to shreds. Literally, I assume, seeking to turn it oh, into... Oh, to uh, shreds, you say? Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
um, presumably trying to turn into a literal black hole. Uh, so talk mm-hmm. of like them ripping off cup holders and throwing them on the field. I assume they were particularly angry because they were up early. Like they, they were up basically by two touchdowns early on. Uh, but then in the second half, they just did nothing. Um, Minchu Madness. Exactly. Minchu Magic Madness came in. He got two touchdowns both in the fourth quarter. Looked okay. Like there's there's bigger issues in offense and he's just doing the best what he has. And you know, you know, a 13 point blown lead to finish your tenure in Oakland. Eh, that was pretty Oakland, like to be fair. Yeah, they they um, had a Hail Mary at the end that bounced off the receiver's face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was fantastic. So Really, the only positive thing for Oakland as they move on to become the Las Vegas Raiders is, you know, they have a couple of talented pieces on the offense in Waller and Jacobs, super over 100 yards. But, you know, they'll need a new quarterback. They'll probably need a couple more wide receivers. They're not a million miles away from being relevant. But, yeah, just, I don't know, the team just still has a bit of a stink of not really being where they need to, to truly contend in an AFC West that obviously is you know, quite stacked at the top with KC there. No, of course. And obviously, we can't really go without mentioning that there was an issue that they're having with the officiating where they said Carr should have been should have kept the clock running for four oh, seconds yeah. and that four seconds made the difference. Uh, right, whatever. <laughs> I, I, yeah, sure. The 204 versus two minutes for the two-minute warning is the world of fucking difference in that instance. Fun times. Uh, Minnesota beat the living shit out of the Chargers, 39-10. Or oh, did no, the that, Chargers beat the shit out of themselves? Ah, look, come on. The, uh, the, hey, the dark horse, winners of the offseason, AFC West favorite Chargers, again, seven fucking turnovers. Pick six, three interceptions, two fumbles from Gordon. Like, these, they're, they're just a mess. Like, they're an absolute mess. They've got a load of the players back. And this is the thing, just, it's such a waste, such a talented roster, and just nothing happening with it. Minnesota didn't really have to do much in this game. They let everyone carry the ball. I think they had like six or seven different rushers like they just sent wide receivers rush the ball yeah cousins didn't do much in this game because he didn't have to yeah it was just yeah you can't get your your stats up if you don't if you have such a short field each time no no it's just yeah just just a waste of a game like it's just yeah (laughs) just pointless just wasted everyone's time for uh you and your uh chargers uh uh, I wouldn't say hatred, but, uh, you know. Just, to be honest, like, realism. It's, just, <laughs> it, it, it's actually, it's, it's just disappointment at this point because it's just yeah. like, genuinely, there's just wasted players on that team. A um, adversary, they were not. No. Um, yeah, that's all there is to really say about that. <laughs> Apart from like, you know, seriously at this point, just do you have anyone on the roster you want to try out a quarterback? Like, just stick the fullback in or something, see what happens. Like, there's, Rivers is giving you nothing at this point. You know he's not there next year. Looking at I mean, this they have to pull back. He's a Watt brother, so uh, why yeah. not? They why not? Why not? So I'm told. They... Rams at Dallas, twenty-one to forty-four. Another one-sided, but I think this one was a bit of a surprise. Yeah. So obviously, based on the form book, the this was expected to be a close game um, with the Rams being a favorite, um, and it didn't start very auspiciously for them um, when a bad communication from Dak Prescott basically left them in a situation where they might have had no kickoff uh, at, at the beginning of the first and second half. Now, on video review at halftime, um, apparently Dak Prescott might have mumbled the word defer and then oh, yeah. fixed it. Uh, but, you know, that ended up being a small... And then off the first original kickoff, Kype Forbad kicked it out of bounds and it was playing the 40. But once those early mistakes were overcome before they even started playing the game, they looked great. Uh, you know, they ran all over 
this Rams defense, which has been pretty good this year, like both Pollard and Elliott over 100 yards. Pollard mostly in garbage time, to be fair. And yeah, like they just, they, like I think the Rams got an early score and then it was just the Dallas Cowboys from like the, you know, middle of the first quarter until the middle of the fourth quarter. Like the Rams, they got some stats. Like Goff had like 100, 282 yards, but all that was garbage time uh, for Higby and Cup. And yeah, for the Rams, obviously very, very tight window. They need to win out and Minnesota to lose out. And I think given what they kind of did recently, you know, where they kind of were saving Gurley and all that kind of bullshit, you know, at this stage, it looks like they're, I don't, I don't know if it was a great plan or if it was deliberately planned this way, but whatever was happening there has obviously not worked and for a team which obviously has Super Bowl aspirations and has a lot of big money tied up under that assumption yeah a very disappointing year which is unlikely to finish in the playoffs yeah no it's a bit of a shock Dallas looking good in this but like you said I'm, I'm with you like I, you can't trust it but I'd like a 44 it's point performance against them. Dallas basically like the yeah. defense showed up like last year and they just ran the ball really well so once that's working, you don't need to worry too much about the fancy offensive play calling and all that kind of stuff. No, of course. Atlanta decided to go back to their like three or four weeks ago form and just start like shitting on really good teams. And from what I gather, I think Matt Ryan is now five and zero as a starter against the number one defense in the NFL. Yeah, uh, he's just he's just insanely <laughs> like, good against Atlanta. Teams. Have beaten the 49ers. They've beaten the New Orleans Saints, and you know they're like in the Toltrums. It's crazy. Uh, and th- th- it's it's interesting. They took a very, very simple route in this game. They just said, just throw it at Julio Jones. He'll yeah. catch it and do things. I think Julio was targeted 20 times, uh, went for 134 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, equally, George Kittle was pretty much all of the, the 49ers approach as well. He was targeted some like 15, 16 times and went for 134 yards, but uh, but no touchdowns. Like San Francisco just looked not very good on yeah. offense in this game. They looked lost. We said this would be a good test to see what their defense would look like against, like we said, a good offense, albeit apparently just a very one-note offense that works. <laughs> um, and they came up short in this game. And you got to wonder, like, obviously they hurt not having Sherman there. They're missing a few other pieces. But, like, if, if, if this Atlanta Falcons team can do this to them, they need to get healthy quick because yeah. they're already dropped to the fifth seed now. I think Sherman is a massive miss for them. Obviously, Sherman can be a lockdown cornerback. He's done that in the past. And maybe he wouldn't have slowed down Julio completely, but you you wouldn't imagine him getting 134 yards and two touchdowns, including obviously the game winner. And San Francisco, they had the chance to put this game away. Like they had a fairly decent lead uh, for most of the second half, but they just seemed to, like the run game was never bad, but it was never, I think, as quite as good as they thought it was. They were going to the run game very, very aggressively. And then, you know, outside Kittle, they weren't really trusting their wide receivers to get stuff done. Admittedly, they had a few drops, but still, you know, given that they have a couple of talented players in Debo Samuel and Emmanuel Sanders, they, they don't they didn't need to be this one-dimensional, really, or 2D if you include the run game and Kittle. <laughs> but yeah, like basically, San Francisco just allowed Atlanta to stick around, and then Atlanta had a really good two-minute drill at the end. Both teams were obviously inconsistent, and then obviously Atlanta had two chances, or two touchdowns. One was called back for potentially hitting the ground um, for Hooper, uh, but then, you know, San Francisco just about got away with that one 
and then Julio got it on the two-yard line. Initially, I think there was some confusion over whether it was called a touchdown or not, but clearly a touchdown and a huge loss in this ridiculously like now complex uh, number one, number two, NFC West, NFC North seed multiplier situation. <laughs> yeah, so, I, think, I think we've actually got a question in about some of this kind of stacking and seeding permutation stuff. So we'll, yeah, uh, it's pretty crazy. So we'll have a look at uh, that. But yeah, it's, it, but, it's a bad loss for San Fran, but... Uh, but yeah, like it's it's probably good to get a little bit more of a heat check on yourself at this point, rather than going in and thinking you're invincible and then just getting steamrolled in the in, in the knockout stages instead. Buffalo at Pittsburgh, seventeen to ten, almost exactly the way we said this is going to play out <laughs> as well, like almost to the fucking letter. Yeah, defense wins it for Buffalo, four interceptions. Allen was, I think you've listed it as inconsistent here. I'd say it's just like <laughs> baffling. He's 50% completion, 130 yards, a touchdown. Help like a in this game. Help yeah. like a comparison. <laughs> like, uh, Singletary went off. Brown looked good. Duck just looked completely overmatched here, throwing, like we said, four interceptions. The run game didn't happen. Like we said before, this Pittsburgh team, it's still in the wild card hunt, uh, particularly given the Titans' loss. But, like... Buffalo lock up a lock up a, a a playoff spot here, but don't look overly impressive. Pittsburgh still in the hunt, but look to me to be well worse off than I even would have thought. Like because I think they we saw a, a a bounce back for their offense when they swapped back to to Hodges, but. We're starting to see why he's not really a start. You know, the game kind of went away from them. They were behind for most of this game. Maybe there's a little bit of pressure to kind of, when you're in third and long, so you kind of have to rely more on your quarterback. It's just not the way they want to play football. They want to run the ball. And with James Conner back, they didn't really do that well enough to, you know, overcome this fairly solid Buffalo D. Like their defense is good enough to keep them in games like this. They had an interception, a forced fumble, uh, only one sack though. And TJ Watt is having a Pro Bowl level year. But at the end of the day, like, yeah, the Buffalo Bills, can are they consistent enough to really be a genuine contender? No. Are they interesting enough that they could have one big game and knock out a Patriots or, or a KC on their day? Maybe. I think Singletary and Brown are, are solid things there, but uh, and the defense obviously showed up here. But yeah, like both these teams, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit indulged by their current records. But uh, hey, all you need to do is make it to the playoffs. And for the Bills, this is the first time they've been over ten wins um, since the '90s. So for Bill, the Bills Mafia, you know, they mm. probably deserve a bit of it. You know, a lot of tables. No um, table is safe. Get smashed <laughs> over the next New few weeks. The and I'll finish us off. Indianapolis and New Orleans, seven to thirty-four. Very easy win for New Orleans. Uh, Breeze breaks the all-time touchdown record. I think he also ha- holds the like completion percentage record yeah, now as well. Again, but yeah, so they had a good job here. Thomas helped, but like Indianapolis just didn't. They, they just didn't look like they were at the races at all. Like less than two hundred in passing, fifty rushing. The run's doing nothing. No tack, like no, no, no takeaways. No sacks. No anything. Like this wasn't. This wasn't a match. This was just a, an execution. Yeah, it was a it was a little testimonial game for Drew Brees to get another record. All very happy for him. No, of course. And of course, Michael a- Thomas is well onto his way for uh, his own uh, all-time, uh, all-season receptions target as well. Well, yeah. So we'll take we'll we'll swing over and take a couple of questions from the listeners. Okay, so we'll try and be quick here because we've got some uh, some bits to look at in the upcoming picks. So uh, first one comes in, it says, uh, 
more players are saying, come get me on the Browns. How do you change that culture? So we referenced it briefly in the review. A couple of weeks ago, Odell Beckham was quoted as saying, come get me to some people who he's playing against, referencing that he wanted out of Cleveland and wanted to go to a different organization. Apparently, multiple players, and I've been saying this from the sidelines to players uh, who they're playing against, and a lot of people want out. There's a bad locker room culture there. They've lost control, obviously, and Freddie Kitchens is awful. My take on this at the moment is everyone's saying, well, look, just fire Freddie Kitchens and get someone else in there. And I think it has to be more than that. You need to have, if you're bringing someone in, it has to be someone who's going to be able to instill something. And I think you're going to need to bring in someone strong, but also probably like sell off one or two of those assets. Like we said, it as a risk going in. There's too many egos and too many big personalities floating around there. And to be honest, if I have my way, kick Baker Mayfield, the irritating sack of shit that he is out of the league. <laughs> like it starts at the top, really. Like we we've, we say this a lot, but the ownership does matter, and the Haslam's have you know they haven't shown the ability to be calm, to make business decisions, to kind of let the footballing operations be the footballing operations. They've tried these like huge experiments, like the money ball stuff. They obviously now swing to a player first type situation, like keep the players happy with the the coach who looked pretty like the offensive coordinator looked pretty well down the stretch. But like yeah, this is a team just riddled with indiscipline riddled with culture problems and yeah i'm not surprised players want to get out like they're you know that thing wearing the t-shirt like you know about the whole pittsburgh incident like it's just yeah team there's no control over this team and veterans will know that and veterans won't go there so yeah they need to book their ship pretty well and yeah like baker mayfield does fit that problem of being a wild child and maybe in a more stable scenario like in baltimore or in new england that'll be fine but in an organization like this just not the, the, the thing is, is very simple. Baker Mayfield, fucking do something before you start talking shit like this. Yeah, like but he needs. He's not, he, like I know he's not a child, but you would need. Like we'd prefer to have someone in the organization whose job is to hey stop fucking doing that, or we'll hmm. we'll just cut you basically. Yeah, he'll be much better off. Uh, next up is Eli Manning, a Hall of Fame quarterback. Uh, well, now he is back to a uh, perfect 500 on his career. I suppose it's a, it's a fair question to ask. I, I think, in a nutshell, my opinion is he's going to get in, but I don't <laughs> think he is as good as a Hall of Fame quarterback should be. I think he he is an iconic quarterback. He is an important quarterback. It's the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of good footballing players. It's kind of like the MVP thing, right? It's like who are the players who define their era? And it is hard not to put Eli Manning among the players who have defined uh, late 2010 era. Like defeating, I know it's the Super Bowl wins and inconsistency, but defeating the nearly undefeated Patriots, that team that could have been the next juggernaut, is a significant win. He got, mm-hmm. obviously got another Super Bowl as well. And yeah, his, the back end of his career has been pretty crap. I won't put anything against that. His win percentage hasn't been great. But I think if you're talking about players who are iconic, who define their era and therefore are famous um, and will be associated forever with their time in the NFL, I think Eli Manning definitely deserves to be in something called the Hall of Fame. But like, <laughs> that's like a cheeky debater type of way of getting. It is, yeah. But like, like outside, I we'll, we'll probably do a proper chat about this coming into the off season. But like, outside of the two Super Bowl wins, surely players who have been around for around the same length of time, like, because I don't think I don't think Philip Rivers is in any way close to being a Hall of Famer. But his career statistics and what he puts on paper is a much better version. Outside of the postseason success, is much better than what we've seen from Eli. 
Yeah, same um, can be said of a couple of others in the league coming from the same time period. Yeah, like, but I think, you know, you know, with quarterbacks in particular, they have the level of influence over their team. So if any position deserves to be associated with the wins and losses, it is the quarterbacks, but that also also stands for the championships as well. I just think the problem for a player like Rivers or maybe someone a little bit younger, Matt Ryan, is like, yeah, they have all the statistics. Yeah, they've always been effective. But, you know, are they iconic? Will they be remembered like 20, 30, 40 years from now? Probably not. But Eli Manning... Mark Sanchez will be remembered in 25 years. <laughs> doesn't mean that he's deserving the Hall of Fame. Yeah. But yeah, no, we'll, 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 we'll do a proper chat about this, yeah. I think, in the offseason. I think, I think there's question. a debate about what the purpose of the Hall of Fame is. But from my perspective, mm. I think Eli fits in. No, of course. And uh, Vic Fangio came out, so this is a question, said, Vic Fangio said, scrap the divisions, what do you think? Vic Fangio came out and said he doesn't like the current structure of the NFL, the rotations and stuff, and the division restrictions. And essentially, he reckons that because there's 16 teams in each division, you should pay... The other 15 teams, and then you should play one who is your natural rival team, as he said. So, like, you know, it makes sense for some of them, like New York Jets, New York Giants. Yeah, that makes sense. The LA Rams, the LA Chargers. Yeah. But then you get, like, I don't know, like Seahawks and Miami. I don't know. (laughs) They're off. Yeah, like, Uh, there's an interesting question there about who are the natural, like, rivals. That's a whole. Like, I think the division system, it it is flawed. I think objectively, maybe going to a full league situation would be better. But I also think that, like, yeah, the purpose of this division system is to kind of silo certain rivalries, create more games that have juice, assuming there's some relevance and there isn't too much of a gap between the teams, and also to ensure that the NFC's teams get the maximum exposure possible. Maybe there's an argument that it should be under more active review, but I think given the history, given how it's always been, you know, the division thing, I don't think it's that bad. That oh, yeah. like, to... I'll, I'll essentially try out what I try out every year when this stuff comes up is, is I like the division system, creates the rivalries, has the fun. I am with him in one respect. I don't think that winning your division should guarantee that you get a home playoff game. I think you have the winners of the four divisions and you have the two next best records and then you seed that purely on their records. You don't get you don't get a like say a potentially like a 13 and 3 49ers team traveling to a seven and nine Eagles team or something like that, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. It doesn't it doesn't make sense to me to have it that way. But uh like the structure for 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 arranging games, I like. The structure for seeding playoffs, I don't. Sure, look, we'll swing over with that uh, with those playoffs in mind and have a look at the games for next week. Okay, so first up, we have Houston at Tampa Bay. I've gone for Tampa Bay, and you've gone for Houston. Uh, <laughs> if Houston win, they clinch the AFC South. Yeah, I just think Tampa Bay home Thursday night. We know how ridiculous, although I suppose, yeah, he is now down to like his fourth straight wide receiver. <laughs> ah, no, fuck it. We'll have a yeah, bit of fun. Like, Let's just keep throwing it. Like the, the, the Texans are down to like their fifth cornerback, so it's all fair, you know? That's true, that's true. Like that's, um, a hail, that's like a rule discordia type of pick. It's like, yes, let the chaos of Jameis reign. Let Brashad Perryman and his, like in the very name, <laughs> defeat yeah. like DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller and, you know, talented players. Like, you know, maybe on form you should pick Houston. Like they are a solid team. They obviously have a better quarterback. But yeah, like I, I think Tampa Bay, given where Tampa Bay in terms of their record are and what they've done, 
this is a makes it a lot more fun of a game than perhaps has any right to be. Um, so it's a nice little opener to the uh, slate on Thursday night football. And you know, if Houston lose, I think they'll probably just still get into the playoffs anyway. So you know, yeah, well, they, the they clinched the AFC South, but. Um, and obviously, as a KC fan, I assume you want the Houston just kind of make sure they're not relevant for any of that seeding stuff anyway. And uh, next up, Buffalo at New England. This is my game of the week. I've gone for Buffalo and you've gone for New England. Because again, fuck it, I just want some chaos. <laughs> New England have not looked very good the last while. Like, yes, in the second half, they've beat up on that Cincinnati team. But I think a lot of high school teams could beat up on that Cincinnati team at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> like if New England wins, they clinch the AFC East. The Buffalo wins. This is the one thing that annoys me. I was looking at stuff today. From what I gather, if even if Buffalo wins this, if New yep. England win next week, they still have the tiebreakers on common opponents or in division or something. They can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> I know it's ridiculous. Um, but I still want Buffalo to go in and and and, and kick their ass because it'll be fun. Because yeah, also, no. if they if if they do it, then the Chiefs. Because by virtue of us having the tiebreaker over them, could push them out and at least have them have to uh, have to uh, travel a little bit if they want to make it. Yeah, like I think I think the 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 home like the homer pick the pick we want to see is Buffalo. But I just kind of feel like New England and Foxborough. We saw that the Buffalo team, you know, they're not very consistent themselves. Very reliant on Singletary and Brown and a bit of Allen running to get them going. Yeah, like this kind of strikes me maybe a closer version of that Baltimore game. They'll keep it close. It'll be tight. But I just kind of feel with Bill Belichick, with this New England team, in those games, it's very hard to pick against them. They're just so good at it. Yeah, and they're, and they're at home as well. Rams at the sound. The thing is, I can kind of I can take a couple of pot shots now. I think I'm about like 10 or 12 games clear in the picks, so I can have a bit of fun. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, Rams at San Francisco. We've both gone for San Francisco. Rams kind of look to have collapsed off cliff a little bit in San Francisco. While they lost to that uh, to the Falcons, this Rams offense isn't as good as the Falcons offense is, and I expect San Fran to be bouncing back and seeing how they can fill in these gaps going into the postseason, right? But, but the Rams have obviously been been really good outside of that Dallas game, and I think Dallas they just they played the perfect game. They got pressure on Goff a lot. Their run game was really effective at controlling the clock. San Francisco have the talent up front to get the Goff. If they can do that, if Bosa can make himself known and Armstead, etc., can make themselves known, then the current injury issues in the linebacker and secondaries won't be that good because I think Goff under pressure is just absolutely desperate. So that's going to be huge for them. But we know that the Rams, their defense can be solid. I think the Dallas thing might just be an aberration. So they need to clamp down on the run game, make sure the Kittle is covered and force Garoppolo to rely on Sanders and on Debo Samuel. But I think San Francisco, yeah, I think Given what we've seen this year, we're willing to give a bit, put a bit more faith in them. But I think both these teams, based on what they've put over the last month, both of them are hard to trust right now. Uh, but we'll give it to San Francisco based on their longer track record and being at home. No, of course, Pittsburgh at the Jets. I nearly took the Jets in this one, but then I thought uh, that defense against Darnold, he'll make a couple of mistakes. I think this could go either way. I'll give it to Pittsburgh because I know they're pushing to try and get to the... Uh, this is this is the bizarro version of the Houston Tampa Bay game. It's like it's still kind of relevant for playoffs because Pittsburgh are in there, but this is the worst, probably one of the worst games on the slate because um, both these teams are really, really hard to watch a lot of the time. And Pittsburgh, and I think the Jets, when they're on form, can be a bit more fun. But against this Pittsburgh defense, I imagine this is going to be pretty, pretty god awful. Um, but Pittsburgh, they just, you know, the Jets are a, a joke organization. Oh, wait, one second, one second. I'm going to swap mine to the New York Jets. I just realized. <laughs> Bell revenge game. Oh, well, yes, that's true. <laughs> 
Like trusting no, the Jets. No, no, no. Even, even, even with that, I can't trust the Jets. I'm going to leave it. Uh, okay, New Orleans and Tennessee. Uh, we're both going for New Orleans. Surprisingly spicy game. It could actually be a bit of fun. Like, New Orleans away from home are definitely a little bit more vulnerable than they are in their Superdome, um, where they've had the recent offensive turnaround. Uh, they've Tennessee, just lost a lot of their rotation on the D-line, and Tennessee have that run game. Yeah, but Tennessee's defense has also been pretty vulnerable. So this is the uh, actually has a good chance of turning into a really fun, high-scoring boat race-type game. Obviously, Tannehill has been on good form. Even last week, he wasn't bad uh, recently. And yeah, he can pull up yards. He can throw that. AJ Brown's having a brilliant back end of the year. Um, Derek Henry's if he's healthy is an absolute killer like feature. And then on the other side, Breeze throwing to Thomas. Um, it's just ridiculous this year. And then outside that, you have Kamara and Murray kind of contributing as well. And Jared Cook has looked pretty good uh, after having a slow start this season. So, yeah, like both these defenses have a, are a bit of a liability right now due to injuries. So this could actually end up being a really fun game and obviously play off relevant both teams with New Orleans in the fight for the number one seed and Tennessee fighting to stay relevant for the last wildcard round against Pittsburgh. Uh, Carolina and Indianapolis. Uh, Let's just skip this one. Indianapolis, I guess. Run, if you just run the ball in Indianapolis, just like if you have Marlon Mack, just he'll, he'll win it for you. But this um, thing, like, this could literally just be Marlon Mack versus Christian McCaffrey. That's it. Yeah. Cincinnati, Miami. Oh my God. Both going for Miami. Cincinnati it, it, just want that number one pick. This, this is also a bad game, but at least both these teams occasionally do some fun stuff. And, you know, Miami, Miami in particular, like doing crazy stuff for whatever reason onside mm-hmm. kicks and, and fourth down conversions and, you know, punter to kicker, like, you know, TDs yeah. and stuff like that. Cincinnati are gate adventures. Yeah, Miami are more fun, so I think we're willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, even if Cincinnati are, uh, you know, maybe have more solid pieces at certain points, maybe at this point. Yeah, Baltimore, Cleveland, both going for Baltimore. Baltimore clinch home field advantage, so they get either the one or the two seed in the AFC with a win here. Yeah, like like we mentioned it earlier in the question section and in the previous thing. Cleveland are a mess at the moment. Baltimore are on fire. This would be a huge one because it means that then they could start re- they could rest in their final week game against uh, the Steelers as well. Yeah, like I suppose the only thing that makes you question it at all is that obviously Cleveland's best performance this year did come against Baltimore in the reverse fixture. They also they have talent. They and Chubb obviously if he can get going provides them some hope. But yeah, based on where the teams are in terms of what they're able to do. It's yeah, you can't really pick against Baltimore right now. Um, oh. The best we can hope for is at least a somewhat competitive game, to be honest. Yeah, and you know, I'm not expecting that. Uh, Jacksonville and Atlanta. Yeah, both go for Atlanta. Jacksonville looked a bit spry in the second half against the Oakland Raiders. This Atlanta team just beat the 49ers. Put up the points and keep at it because like they don't have a run game, so they'll just keep throwing to Julio even if they're up by. 50 like, That's like okay. <laughs> and I don't think Jacksonville have the corners to cover because they've got they've got other weapons as well if need to be with uh, a few other people so uh, yeah Atlanta across the board uh, oh my god the Giants at the Mazungus I've gone for the Giants you've mm. gone for the Mazungus so Daniel Jones might be back for this like the Mazungus they have a very simple game plan um, run, 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 McLaurin. Run, 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 McLaurin. Run, 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 McLaurin. And it's been surprisingly effective at picking up a few wins when this team, before they fired Jay Gruden, looked like the worst team in the NFL. Maybe it'll be good enough at the Giants. The Giants have a pretty decent run defense. Maybe that'll make the difference. But I don't know. The Bazungus, they, they have a plan. They know what they're doing. Whereas the Giants, I don't think they know what they're doing. They're still kind of scratching around. If Saquon gets going, though, maybe the thing, I'm just thinking, I saw, like, I saw Saquon getting it going last week. And I think. He's gonna want to. 
he's going to want to do a bit at the tail end to kind of remind everyone for the offseason who he is. So I think against a divisional rival, one that they should be able to beat if everything clicks, I think they'll do it. Detroit at Denver, we've both gone for Denver. Detroit are um, a joke right now, and Denver, yeah. they've looked better. I know they KC beat up on them in Arrowhead, but at home against Detroit... Yeah, David Blauer. Yeah, and like, and, and like, like I said, I did, I did think even in that game, Locke looked good. I think it'll be they'll, they'll blame the weather and that kind of stuff, but like he was getting harassed a lot. Their line isn't great, but like, yeah, like he had receivers dropping balls. They've got a good running yeah. back. They've got good wide receivers who are not injured. Speaking <sighs> of pointless games, Oakland at Chargers. Chargers, I suppose, just because the Chargers are more talented and. The Raiders are more derpy uh, at times. Like as long as just just don't throw the ball away, Rivers. If just like keep it to like two turnovers, and you should probably win this game. Just use uh, just use just use Austin Eckler the entire time in Wildcats. Yeah, so he's so effective. Why don't you just do that? Yeah. See, like come on. <laughs> That's all you need to do. Arizona at Seattle. We both gone for Seattle. Like Arizona have done good things against stronger teams in the last couple of weeks. I just still don't rate them, and I still think the Seattle team. Even without you know the passing excellence of Josh Gordon in there, like are still they need to win this because they want to they want to get that they're in the hunt for that number one seed. Like you know you gotta be gotta be pushing through here. Yeah, and, like think, an Arizona team in your own house, you gotta be able to be. Like, historically, the Arizona games have been a bit of a cluster mess. To be honest, like uh, <laughs> a cluster mess. Yeah. it's an odd time to stop swearing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Yeah, like I think Seattle on paper should win. They are playing pretty decent football, even if the injuries are slowing them down a bit. Whereas Arizona, yeah, they had one nice performance against Cleveland, but they had been on like I think a five or six game losing streak up to that point. They're very inconsistent. If they can't get Kenyon Drake going, they basically don't seem to know what to do. And Kyler Murray, yes, there's definitely flashes of Kyler Murray being a great quarterback, but there's also plenty of flashes of him holding the ball, like getting sacked, making mistakes throwing too short I think Seattle they're just a well coached team um, with a plan uh, and they should be able to run over them enough to kind of get the job done no of course Dallas at Philly uh, Dallas Back clinches the, the NFC East if they win this good god both got for Dallas they look a little bit more informed. well I suppose the thing is they have wide receivers and so, like, this is basically the battle for the NFC East because I think, respectively, they'll be playing the Giants and Mizungus, um in Week 17, which they both should win, theory. Dallas, obviously, were obviously kind of basing on, like, the last game. They refound their mojo. They'll get it back in Zeke's hand, run it over the Philly uh, defense, and hope that's enough to kind of overcome the complete lack of explosiveness in the uh, Philly offense. Like, I think this might be a little bit closer than you'd expect. Philly are definitely better at home. But yeah, I think yeah, Dallas... I think, I think they know the importance of this yeah, game as well. Yeah. Like. The talent... I think we're willing to say the talent will tell in this game. Dallas are a more talented team. Uh, they're obviously... The coach is fighting for his life. So we'll, we'll give it to Dallas. But in the NFC East, you never really know. No, of course. Uh, Casey at Chi-Town. We're going to go for Kansas City in this one. Yeah, like, Kansas looking good. Chicago not looking great. They're now out of contention. Trubisky's look better, but still mistake prone. And this is an offense that comes from the Andy Reid tree. He should know how to attack it pretty well. I, I, think, like, I think if Kansas City can put up another big offensive display, it'll start to put a lot of um, KC fans' you know minds at rest that this offense is it's getting its mojo back. We saw like Kelsey and Hill get going. If those two guys are going with Pat Mahomes healthy, you know it's very very hard for anyone to stop them. But you know, wouldn't be surprised if this is a little bit of a closer game either, to be honest. No, of course. I can also see like bad weather game outside in 
December. And this is the thing when you've got a when you've got a lost season like the Chicago have, and they've got talent on that defense, and they've got an ex coach or their head coach is someone who coached on the other team. Like this is a big game for them. This can be the kind of like knock out a contender, make sure everyone still like thinks of us well going into the offseason thing. I could see them being completely up for this game. Finally, Monday Night Football, Green Bay at Minnesota. I've gone for Green Bay and you've gone for Minnesota. Yes. Uh, Green Bay clinches the NFC North with a win on yeah. Monday. And Green Bay are also, if they win it well into the number one seed hunt. Um, mm. So for reference, there are now four teams all on the same record atop the NFC. So it's very, very close up there. Minnesota, even if they lose this game, I think they have Chicago in Week 17. They'll probably still make the playoffs as a wild card. Uh, but certainly for in-division rivals who've spent a lot of time beating each other up um, for supremacy, with Green Bay obviously having the best of that for most of the recent history of the division. It's a huge statement for Minnesota. Obviously, all the jokes about Cousins wilting on prime time, this team can't get it done when it matters, all that type of stuff is in the face of Minnesota. So can they get it done here? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and predict that they can. I think at home, I think regardless of who they have at running back, I think Dalvin Cook definitely is the best running back they have. But even if they had Mike Boone in there, I think that Kubiak-type run offense, that zone read run offense works. Without, like I think that's one of those, similar to the Shanahan system, plug and play. A guy, if he's got talent, will do well in that system. And then I think Kirk Cousins has been you know, quietly solid for the last couple of months. There's been a few games where the stats haven't been great, but that's typically because the rest of the team has done the job for him. But when he's been asked to step up, he's generally been pretty good. He's generally done enough. Even in the cases where he didn't, he got them pretty close. Uh, so, for example, the Seattle game, he got a lot of points, but then fell on the final drive. I think Green Bay... Very, you know, we've seen flashes of that potential revolution of the Aaron Rodgers renaissance, but we've also seen a lot of inconsistency, a lot of reliance on like Aaron Jones getting those red zone touchdowns, Devontae Adams getting those big plays. So for both these teams, lots of question marks for two teams who've had pretty good years, all things considering. And I think, you know, what will actually probably be the big factor in the end will be these defenses. Both of them very inconsistent. Uh, both have had flashes of greatness. Like Green Bay's pass rush at times has looked great, at other times hasn't been great. Their secondary has been pretty good. I think they have a more solid defense, whereas Minnesota has more upside. But I think the biggest problem for Minnesota right now is their boundary quarterbacks have been getting torched. So if they can't stop Devontae Adams, that's a huge negative against them. But at home, on Monday Night Football, I'm going to go against the form book. I'm going to go against the Cousins rule. I'm almost certainly going to be be punished for it, as I have been this year constantly by Connor in the picks. In a big spot, I'm going for Minnesota on Monday Night Football. Yeah, I'm going for Green Bay because you know I got my rules. Kirk Cousins can't beat winning teams. The algorithm. Like you said every team that they're keeping this season has not got a winning record. Again, they're at home. They're better at home. I get that. They got some injuries. I think the Cook injury will impact them more than maybe you think. Probably is like I don't I don't trust Green Bay, but I sure as shit don't trust Kirk Cousins. So uh, yeah, that's pretty much where I am on that one. Um, <laughs> the algorithm. Yeah, the algorithm is simple. If this, then this. Wait, and I'm stuck in an infinite loop. I don't trust either. <laughs> no, that's good. So uh, any plans for the rest of the weekend? You're heading up, up home then, is it? Yeah, yeah. Both of us, you know, on the on the journey home. Mine being like less significant, but probably it'll take around the same amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> when, are you, when are you heading up? Yeah, I presume you have to head up through Dublin, is it? Uh, yeah, so via Dublin, bus up to Dublin, then bus to Cavan, and then... Uh, 
like a lift from the brother or sister in Cavan back to the homestead. But yeah, about a six to seven hour uh, journey time in total usual. Yeah, it's fine. There won't be much happening. As I said, you know, as I mentioned last year, around this time, we got the good internet now. So it, it basically isn't that much different from what I do in Cork, except there's no work in between it. Mm. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't. I don't think we've. I don't think we've got the good internet up in Donegal yet. So uh, we'll be. Oh, well, the we, we, plan is is signed up now. You know, it's going to happen any day now. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have to see what kind of uh, sound recording options might be available to us over the Christmas period. It might be uh, somewhat limited, but um, no, it'll be good. Yeah, I'm just going to get packed up and get ready to rock and uh, head off tomorrow and start my long trek back home. Need to start downloading a few bits to put on the, uh, the tablet or on the laptop to watch for the travels. So uh, should be should be pretty good. So I suppose uh, as always, fire your questions into us online, on um, emails, on Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but that'll do it for this week, I think. So let's bye from myself, bye from Fitz. Bye. It's been all for quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you next week. <laughs>